Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again before your holy throne, Lord, to acknowledge your name as holy. And Lord, we come as always as your people whom you chose and served in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for this hour of coming and hearing your word. And Lord, may you cause your people to hear what they need to hear about Christ for Christ's sake. We pray and we thank you for bringing us here this morning. And we just pray that this message will transform your people, will give them courage, will give them hope by seeing what Christ has accomplished on their behalf and who he is for them. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be in Leviticus 21. The other message that I shared in Pittsburgh on Friday is also from Leviticus 21, the first four or five verses. But we are going to be in Leviticus 21, verses 16 to 24. 16, 16 to 24. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, no man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach a man blind or lame who has a mad face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or is a hunchback or a dwarf or a man who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or scab, or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect. Lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. Our sermon title is Defects, Holy Food, and the Gospel. Defects. Holy food and the gospel. And this is the Lord's table. And as always, we preach the gospel. Even when we don't have the Lord's table, we try to preach the gospel. Our interest as Christians, as believers, is Christ. Because Christ is the gospel. Christ is the good news. And if we have no interest in Christ himself, we have no interest in Christ. We can't just be interested in what Christ has accomplished without having interest in Christ. Jesus himself is the gospel. Jesus Christ is God's chief interest. And Christ's chief interest is his work of salvation. It is his work on the cross that is his chief interest. Of all the work that Christ did, there's no work that is exalted more than the work 
of the cross. So you see the cross being preached right from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation. It's all about the cross. So God says, if you have to know him, you have to know Jesus. And if you have to know Jesus, you have to know his work. So we know Christ by the work that he accomplished. We know God by the work that he accomplished through Christ. And we know ourselves by knowing who Christ is. So our prayer should be always as the body of Christ that Christ be made our chief interest. We want Jesus to be made our chief interest. But in this text of Leviticus 21, we have regulations of priestly conduct and service. And the whole idea of the instructions was so that the priests as God's people would not be defiled as to be killed as they were approaching God to do the work of service in the tabernacle. They were the ones who were appointed to approach not just a God, but a holy God on behalf of the people. So it is the holiness of God that drives the instructions. If God was just some other person, some angel, some powerful being who was not holy, there would not be need of this instruction. So God is teaching you and I that there's more to God than John 3.16. God is not just love. God is holy. And because he's holy, he has to be approached in a particular way by particular people whom he has appointed to do that work. But even more, whatever these priests did in one way or the other was a teaching of the work of Christ. It was a teaching of the gospel and how God saves sinners like you and myself. So in Leviticus 21 verse 16, Moses records for us and says, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. The descendants of Aaron are they who were charged by God with the business of priestly ministry, of offering gifts and sacrifices to the Lord. If you still remember, there were 12 tribes of Israel and God set aside the Levites, the tribe of Levi, to be the ones who would do the work of God. But from the tribe of Levite, there was set aside Aaron and his descendants. So only the descendants of Aaron could serve in the temple or the tabernacle. And the Lord speaks and says, none of Aaron's descendants who had any physical defects could approach to offer the bread of his God. And so this disqualified quite a number of people. And obviously some were not happy about that. <laughs> like, okay, we are all Levites. What's wrong with you, Moses? What are you saying? <laughs> but the Lord went into the very specifics and said in verse 18 to 20, 
For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame who has a mad face or any limb too long. A man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or is a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or scab, or is a eunuch. So look at the list of defects. A man blind or lame. A man who has a mad face or any limb too long. A man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, or is a hunchback, or is a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, That is to say, if you have any slight discoloration in your eye, you are already disqualified. If you have eczema, any kind, it doesn't matter how small, you are disqualified. And so what that means was, there had to be inspection. There had to be inspection before one could be qualified to offer gifts and sacrifices. And there were few who could pass, as you can imagine. That you and I would instantly be disqualified by that list. And the Lord made sure that the majority of them had those defects. He made sure that. And the Lord was so serious about this instruction, so he repeated it in verse 21. He repeated it in verse 21 and said, No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. So repetition is no big deal for God. Repetition is not saying what he said earlier was not enough. He is emphasizing a point. And even Apostle Peter would say in Second Peter 1, 2, sorry, Second Peter 1, 12, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. So Peter says, it's not a problem for me to keep telling you the same things over and over again because I don't have anything else to tell you, but I have to keep telling you the same things. So bear with me when I sound like a broken record. It is the nature of the business. Repetition is part of this business. It did not begin with me. But it is important for you and I to understand the instructions. And the instruction is that no man of Aaron's line could serve in the ministry of the tabernacle as to offer bread and sacrifices to God if they had any defect or else they would die. But the Lord does something very interesting. He gives provision for those with defects and says in verse 22, He may eat the bread of his God. The one who had defects had the provision that they may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. The man with a defect could not do the work of approaching God because he had a defect. But he was not prevented by the same defects from eating that which had been offered to God by those who had no defects. Do you hear me? Very important understanding. They could not approach God 
to make an offering or any sacrifice because of their defects. But their defects did not prevent them from eating that which had been offered by the ones who had no defects. So here's the instruction again. Verse 23. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect lest he profane my sanctuaries for I the Lord sanctify them. The altar, the bronze altar was the first piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Just as you were making entry into the tabernacle, the first piece of furniture that you saw was the altar. That's where the animal sacrifices were given. And before it was a veil as one was entering into the tabernacle. And then there was another veil that separated as you were going from the courtyard into the holy place. And then another veil going into the holy of holies. And one who had a defect essentially could not go in. They could not go in to make any offering. So the law prevented these who had defects to go in and make an offering to make atonement. Because the priests were given work to do what? To offer sacrifices to make atonement on behalf of the people. But they were allowed to eat anything that had already passed through these veils, passed through the bronze altar, right even into the Holy of Holies. And the Lord said, the main reason why no man with defects could approach him with a sacrifice is because the Lord is holy and man with defects defile his sanctuaries. So what is this about? Is God concerned about the physical defects of man? Is this a cosmetic issue? Is he saying a man who has a limb too short or has a mad face with acne and does not have proactive, advanced acne remover would be sent to hell? Is that what God is teaching? Is God saying the real problem with men is that they have one limb too long or they have bad vision, but as soon as these have been corrected at the doctor's office, they attend to eternal life. Is that what God was teaching? If that is the case, there's no hope for you and me. My chiropractor told me that my left leg is slightly taller or longer than the right. So I have to have a slight correction. (laughs) My fingernails are not even of the same color. This one is a little darker than the rest. And that will disqualify me from approaching God. And if this is really about cosmetics, then guess where salvation is? Salvation is in Hollywood. Salvation is in Hollywood. Why? Because they do the best job of removing all the defects. So we better be packing (laughs) and be moving to California. But what is God teaching? What was this about? The priest is he who was to approach God to offer sacrifices. Both the priest and the sacrifice had to be without blemish. 
we have been told that the priest could not have any physical, sorry, any visible physical defects. But this was all so true of the sacrifices themselves. Listen to Deuteronomy 15, verse 19 to 21. Deuteronomy 15, verse 19 to 21. All the firstborn males that come from your head and your flock you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your head, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there's a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So God says, but if there's a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. No defects on the priest and no defects on the animal to be sacrificed. Why? Because there were both types and shadows of Jesus Christ, our high priest, who was sinless, by whom we approach God as both our high priest and our sacrifice. Christianity is about teaching people how to approach God. That's what it is about. Christianity is about how sinners approach a holy God. That is what makes us different from everybody. We approach God through a sinless high priest and a sinless sacrifice. And there's no other religion that has that. That's what makes us different. And the gospel of grace is the way by which we approach a holy God. And Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man, which means he is the only way by which one who has defects can approach a holy God in peace. In the Old Testament, the high priest and the sacrifice were two different entities. The sacrifice was different from the high priest. But they both find their union and fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who was both the high priest and the sacrifice in one. Hebrews 9, verse 11 to 14. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. The tabernacle was the meeting place of God's people and God. He, Jesus Christ, tabernacled amongst us. So he is the perfect tabernacle. He is the perfect meeting place of God's people and God himself. Verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So this Jesus, who is the perfect meeting place for you and I, to meet with God in peace. He, by his own blood, his own sacrifice, he entered into the holy place to meet with God on our behalf 
with his own blood and he obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, the writer is saying just all the work of cleaning in the Old Testament only could ceremonially make one clean. They never actually removed any sin. So they were not sufficient for salvation. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Dead works are everything that do not save. That's dead works. Everything that Christ did not do himself are dead works. Because they don't save. But the writer says in verse 14 that he offered himself without spot to God. He offered himself without spot. What is that saying? If he's offering himself, offering is a language of death. Is a language of something that has been killed. You don't, in the context of something that used to be alive, it can be offered on the altar. It has to be killed on the altar. So Christ Jesus, as the sacrifice, offered himself as a sacrifice to God. So it means he had to die. So how is that happening? How can he be both dead and alive? Christ had to be both the high priest offering the sacrifice and the sacrifice was himself. And that is why it is important that the Lord be both God and man. And we are told that he, by the eternal spirit, offered himself. So that's telling you about two natures of Christ. So the high priest and the sacrifice are one in Jesus. The sacrifice had to be killed to be offered to God. But if it is dead, then who offers it to God? The sacrifice and the priest are the same person. So if you kill the sacrifice, you have essentially killed the priest also. So how do you then make a sacrifice when the priest is dead? God has a solution for that. The solution is that the high priest has to be both God and man. Jesus is both God and man. So you see, the person of Christ is very important to your salvation. If you deny that Jesus is God and man, you are essentially denying salvation. There's no salvation that happens outside Jesus possessing both natures. Because if he is not a man, then there was no sacrifice given. And if he is not God, then there was no high priest to give the sacrifice. But as God and man, he could be both dead and alive. He died as a man, but he was alive as God. And that is how he accomplished our salvation. And that is why the writers of the New Testament say he offered himself. So that was God's solution to our salvation. There was no perfect high priest. There was no perfect high priest who could be found from among the children of men. And that is why on the day of atonement, 
Aaron the high priest, what did he do first? He had to make an offering for his own sins. So there was no perfect sacrifice that could be found among men. And if a perfect sacrifice could be found, there was no perfect priest to offer it. And if a perfect priest could be found, there was no perfect sacrifice found to offer. And so both the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice had to be found in the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 7, 26 to 28. For such a high priest was fitting for us. Now listen to the qualifications of this high priest. These are not the same things that you find in Aaron. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, not for everybody. No. (laughs) I heard some preachers say, oh, look, see, it says right there, Jesus died for all. Like, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's talking to the completion of his work. He did it one time, one payment. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. How does he offer up himself? Again, to what we've been learning. He offered up himself as the high priest and as the sacrifice. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the earth which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So the law has a weakness in that the men who are supposed to do the work of salvation on behalf of the people are sinners. They are not holy. They are defiled by the many defects. So the law could never save you because as it stands, it comes as a unit. So if you go to the law, then you also have to take the priesthood that comes with that law. And because we are under a different covenant, we have a different high priest. And so we take Christ with everything that he brings under the new. So Jesus was holy, was harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. And that is what fitted him to be our perfect high priest and sinless sacrifice to atone for our sins. And so Jesus actually accomplished the atonement of our sins, he did it. He did it by reason of his qualification. It is the qualification of Christ that accomplished salvation. It's not in anything that we do ourselves. No matter how genuine, no matter how sincere, no matter how much effort we put, we are already disqualified by reason of our defense. But there's more that we need to understand from the teaching. And to get this teaching, The understanding, the Lord taught this over and over and over and over in the New Testament. We are going to go to the book of Luke. And we are going to learn about Jesus' guest list. Jesus' guest list. You need to write that down if you have a pen. Because it's very important. Jesus' guest list. We're going to do quite a bit of reading from the New Testament just to build the necessary understanding and then we'll connect the points to the teaching in Leviticus 21 
in Luke 14, the Lord is speaking to the Jews from verse 12. Luke 14, verse 12, and we are going to be reading all the way to 24, verse 24. The Lord says to the Jews, when you give a dinner or a supper, verse 12, did you get it? Sit down back. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. You see, the people that you're not supposed to invite, they are those who have ability to pay back. And God is saying by that, that when he saves, he does not save anyone who has ability to do anything to please God. They cannot be able to pay him back in any way. So if you have any ability to pay God something, 1%, do his dishes or something, then God says, no, that's not the formula. Let's keep hearing. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's continue with the parable of the great supper. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him had these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Verse 16, then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that seven came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here, look at the list again, the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled and compel them to come in. All the blind, the maimed are compelled to come in. They don't come by themselves. They are compelled by the servant that has been sent to come in. Are you hearing the gospel? For I said to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Matthew 21, 13. We just want to note that. Matthew 21, 13. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. John 5, verse 1 to 4. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. 
In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Acts 3 verses 1 to 6. Acts 3 verses 1 to 6. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And they said a man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who enter the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him, With John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What's the point? What is the common thread among the stories? And you can find more of this same description. The common thread are the physical infirmities, the physical condition of all those that came to Jesus or were brought to Jesus and were healed by him. In Luke 14, verse 13, Jesus said, when you give a feast, salvation is a feast that God has laid for his people. He says, invite the poor the maimed, the lame, the blind. In the parable of the great supper, the servant, I'm sure you know who the servant is. This is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who has been sent to gather God's people to himself. So he has been sent to go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in, or if you're looking at our own cities, the streets and lanes of the city, that's where you find drug dealers, <laughs> the harlots, and the thieves, right? Exactly right. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now the question is, did all hear the message that the servant brought? The servant was sent out to bring a message for people to come to this great supper. Did all hear the message? Did all hear the invitation? Did they hear the preaching of the message? Yes, they did. But did all come? No. Others were too busy and had excuses. So they did not come. They were too busy and had excuses. And so they did not come. But who came? The poor, the maimed, the blind, they gladly received the invitation to come to the great supper. Yes, they did. It is the poor, the maimed, and the blind that had the gospel. That had the gospel. Those who thought were good were busy. They were busy with their lives and did not care for the invitation 
to come to the great supper and sup with the Lord because they had better things to do. And this is the reason why if you go to where the truth is being taught, people are not interested in it. Why? Because they have better things to do. They have better things to do. But here there are excuses. Here there are excuses. Verses 18 to 20 of Luke 14. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. They were of the same mind as to their excuses. They first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. What is that saying? What are we to understand of what the Lord is teaching? Is he really just teaching about people who refuse to come to a good birthday party with a limousine and some free candy? Those who refused the invitation did not feel their need to go to the supper. They did not feel their need to the supper. Those who were on the streets, those who were begging for food, they were like, okay, there's going to be some free food. I'm in. Count me in. I am so coming. <laughs> These other people did not feel hungry. They had other priorities of life. And that is saying they did not feel their need of Christ. The Lord is teaching about the gospel. And so they occupied themselves with the busyness of life and made excuses for not coming where the gospel of Christ is preached. And people will always find good excuses to justify they are not coming to Christ and attending to the things of Christ. Some will come and say, oh, their church is too small. We can't go in there. Maybe they're cowed. <laughs> and someone will say, oh, I listened to him, but he has an accent, but that's all. But at the heart of it, it is all unbelief. It's all unbelief. Men will always find an excuse to justify whatever they want to do and they will find the time and the resources to do that. The one guy had just made some huge real estate deal. He had just bought some piece of land and he said, let me go check it out. <laughs> just in case this seller may have duped me. Let me go check out my piece of land. I'm going to build some houses there. Grow some crops. Build some big buns. <laughs> the other guy had just bought some oxen. And wanted to test them to see if they could plow his fields. And the one guy was planning his honeymoon cruise. I just got married, dude. There's no way I'm coming. I have some more serious business. My wife will get mad at me. I got to get on the honeymoon thing. And of course, there are many other reasons that are not limited to these. That people will give for not wanting to come where they hear about how God actually saves sinners. But Luke records for us and says in Luke 9 verse 11. Just note that down too if you have been noting things. Luke 9 verse 11. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. He healed those who had need of healing and in Mark 3.10, 
Mark records for us and says, For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. So it is only those who felt their need of healing who came to Jesus to be healed and he turned none away. It's only those who were hungry who had the message of the great supper and he never turned them away. It is the many who had afflictions. That is very purposeful language. It is the many who had afflictions who pressed about him as to touch him that they may be healed. You and I need to be pressing around Christ. We need to be pressing him. We need to be wanting to touch him. We need to feel our need of Christ. And as we sing in our hymn, let not your conscience make you linger. Not of fitness fondly dream. Don't be thinking about you being good. Don't wait to be good. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. He heals those who have need of healing. Only those who have need of healing. There were a lot of people who had all kinds of issues, but they were like, I think I'm doing good today. I'll just drink some more water. Okay, I'll get some rest. The woman with the issue of blood had been bleeding for 12 years and had come to the end of herself. She was close to the point of death and we are told that she had run out of resources. I'm going to read just a few verses just to bring the understanding close back to you. In Mark 5, 25 to 29, Mark says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So the woman was at the point of death. But she had someone say some good things about Jesus and how he had power to serve and to heal those who had afflictions. She thought to look for him because she found herself with a situation that she could not handle by her own resources. She was bleeding to death and no one could help her, not her money. For we are told she had spent all she had, not her physicians. Their physicians had also come to the end of, of themselves. She came to Jesus because she had about Jesus. And she touched the seam of his garments, his garments of righteousness. By faith, she touched Jesus. She pressed on Jesus in a way that other people who were around Jesus were not touching him. And when she touched him by faith, she was healed. She received her salvation. And so none who come and touch Jesus unless they see that they are bleeding to death because of their infirmities that no man can cure. But to come to Jesus, she had to hear 
about Jesus. To come to Jesus, you have to hear the gospel. And it was true then, and it is still true in our own day. It is still the same Jesus. We need to hear about him and his works, and he may just draw us to himself and heal us of our infirmities. What does that say? The physical infirmities of these people are just a type of the spiritual infirmities or the helplessness of all people because of sin. So the fact that one does not have any debilitating physical illness does not mean that they are not a sinner. God was just using these as pictures of what has happened to all men because of sin. So all men, all people are born helpless, no matter how they feel in their physical bodies. The man that Peter and John healed in Acts chapter 3 was lame, and the Holy Spirit says to us, he was lame from his mother's womb, meaning that he was lame from birth. And that is saying that all men are born spiritually lame from birth. They have no ability to come to Christ by themselves, but when God causes them to begin to feel their infirmity, they begin to feel their need for Christ. And God does this in many ways. During the time of when the Lord was walking in shoe leather, the people who came to him were those who had physical infirmities. But they did not come to him because of the physical infirmities. They came to him because the father was drawing them to Christ. He used their physical infirmities to show them of their need for Christ. But this is what is common among all those who are spiritually infirm. God causes every one of them to come to the end of themselves. They all come to the end of themselves. And by his grace, he draws them to Christ. And when he has drawn them to Christ, then they start to sing amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And sometimes, as I have been experiencing with a lot of other people, he may cause a lot of conviction. You cause conviction to the point that you literally lose your head. I mean, literally, and it doesn't remove it. He can convict you, and you find no solution in whatever you do. You can take pills, you can do yoga, you can do whatever you want. You cannot wash away the conviction. But after the conviction is done, after he has emptied you to nothingness, then he restores you, then he teaches you and shows you the things of Christ. But also, the burden of the infirmities is also a picture of our burden because of the law. A burden caused by the law, the law burdens us with a burden that we can't lift up ourselves. We can't do it. And it will not give us relief until who shows up? Until Jesus shows up. So the physical infirmities, the sicknesses are a reminder that we are not righteous in ourselves and we need Jesus to remove the burden of the law from us. So 
All these pictures that we've just been hearing from the New Testament, the infirmities, the sicknesses, were designed by God to teach this reality, to teach this spiritual reality that we have defects. And because of the defects, we can't approach a holy God and we need help to approach him in praise. Listen to the description of those who came to Christ. Those who heed the call to come to the great supper. Jesus says, all who come to Christ were the lame. They were the lame. A lame person is someone who is unable to walk normally. You get that? Because of some injury or illness that affects their legs or feet. And all men are born spiritually lame. They are unable to walk normally before the law of God. That's the point. All who come to Christ are the poor. They are poor not because they lack the goods of the world. No, they are poor in spirit. They are needy. If you are poor, you are needy. You are destitute. You are poverty stricken. They are impoverished because of sin and they can't buy their way out of their poverty. So they are poor in righteousness. They experience the poverty that is due to lack of righteousness. And everything that they touch becomes unclean. They have no righteousness of their own to brag about. A poor person can't help themselves. So they need help from someone else. Jesus says to invite those who are blind. The one who is blind cannot see even themselves. They can't see their way to Christ unless he opens their eyes to him. They see nothing beautiful in Christ until he opens their eyes. They are blind. They see no righteousness in themselves. And these are they who lay at the pool of Bethesda looking to be healed. And all those who are born again feel one or some of these things in one way or the other. They have this profile. They have this profile. Listen to this. Romans 5, 6-11. Apostle Paul profiles the same kind of people as the ones that God actually saves. Romans 5, 6 to 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. 
So these who come to Christ for salvation are those without strength. Those who are without strength, they are weak to do good. They are lame. But the problem is many people feel very strong. And so Christ cannot help them. He is not given to help the strong, but the weak. But the ones who come to Christ are also the ungodly. They are unholy. They are profane in thoughts and in deeds. They are trying to be righteous. They are trying to be clean in their mind and in their heart. And the more they try to be clean, the more they realize that they are still ungodly. These who come to Christ are still sinners. Not they were sinners. They are still sinners. They battle with sin every day. They are as sinful on their best day as they are on their worst day. He who feels it knows it. These who come to Christ are enemies of God. They are opposed to God. They are hostile to him and everything that he is. And yet these are the ones that he saves. And these, my brothers and sisters, are they that Jesus puts on his guest list. He invites these to come. They have nothing to boast about themselves. They are lame, they are poor, they are blind, and have many spiritual defects. That is, they have sin. And these are the ones that he invited to the great supper. These are the ones that he came to save. Luke 14, verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him had these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Eat what bread? Leviticus 21, verse 16 to 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now we are connecting what we just learned mostly from Luke and the teaching from Leviticus 21. This dude just shows up and says more than what he understood. Hey, Jesus, I have something to say. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Leviticus 21, 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, no man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. So all those people that we mentioned. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame. Now it's making more sense. Who has a mad face or any limb too long. Crooked walk. Are they not crooked? A man who has a broken foot or broken hand. Or is a hunchback or a dwarf. Or a man who has a defect in his eye. Or eczema or a scab or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest. Who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord, he has a defect. That's a problem. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God, but, verse 22, he may eat the bread of his God, but the most holy and the holy. So those who had defects could not make any sacrifices to God, which means they could not approach God because those defects were a type of our sinful condition, God was teaching us how to approach him. And God was saying, no sinner shall be able to enter into his presence 
into his sanctuary. But he said something magnificent. And that is the whole point of what we are teaching. The one who could not come near to God because of their sin, because they were lame, because they were blind, because they were imperfect, were allowed to eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. And in Luke, as we read, we are told, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And in Revelation 19, verse 9, we are told, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who are they? These are the ones who have the defects. God gave a provision in the law. The law said, you can't approach God, but there's a provision of the gospel to say, I am not going to cast you away. I will give you the right to eat that which you are not supposed to be eating. Okay, listen to this. Those who eat and shall eat the bread in the kingdom of God are the poor, the lame, the blind. Yes, they may not be able to make an offering to make atonement of their sins, but that's the issue. They can't make an atonement for their own sins as to approach God, but God has opened a way for them to eat the food of the perfect one who made an end to all their sin, an end to all their imperfection. The body of Jesus Christ. That's what's being said. So the law may tell us of our sin, but the gospel makes an invitation for us to come and partake of the body of Christ. The holy things of God. And the Bible says, these who come are blessed. And you see, it doesn't say anything about having a prosperous life. The blessedness is put in the context of having the right to partake of the things that we should not be taking. Partaking of the holy things, things that have been offered to God, the holy things of God. God says, if you have been given that right, that's blessing. That's blessing. They are blessed because God does not impute their sin to them. That's the point. He does not impute their sin to them. He does not account their sin to them because if he does, they cannot approach. And if they can't approach, they can't eat. But God does not impute their sin to them. Romans 4, 7 to 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So these who are blessed are the ones who were imperfect. They are forgiven completely apart from their good works because they come only by the merits of the one who is perfect high priest and sacrifice who has access to God. So praise the Lord who has given us provision to partake of the holy things, even the most holy things in spite of our sinfulness. And to eat the bread in the kingdom of God is to be found in and to be found with Jesus at the table with Jesus. 
And it is to right now believe in Christ Jesus. It is to partake of the benefit of his death, the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus would come and then say in John 6, 53 to 58. Then Jesus said to them, speaking to the Jews. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed. His flesh is the food indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. These are the holy things. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. See, the language even in the Old Testament is always about eating the holy things. Christ comes and says, I am the bread from heaven. This is the food. This is the drink that you have. This is the bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who is this bread will live forever. So the flesh of Christ, the flesh of Christ on the cross, the body of Christ on the cross, and his blood are the most holy things of God that God is inviting you and I to come and partake by faith. It is the holy things that have gone to the holy of holies. Remember the instruction from Leviticus 21. It says the holy. These are things that get into the holy place. And the holy of holies. So the most holy things. And there's only one. Who has entered perfectly. Through the tabernacle. And it's Christ himself. So that provision in Leviticus 21. Is an invitation to come. And partake and believe in Christ Jesus. We have talked about this when we were in John 6, about the eating of the body of Christ and the drinking. Jesus was not saying people get salvation from eating the elements. There's no salvation in eating the elements. No one gets eternal life by eating bread and drinking the wine. Jesus was not teaching that eternal life is communicated to sinners by eating bread and cream cheese. Otherwise, everyone who has bread and wine in their house would be saved, right? This is what was being taught. Jesus was saying his death or his blood is the basis on which God grants eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And a person who is a sinner, who has all these defects, has this benefit by faith. So when Jesus talks about eating and drinking, he is talking about believing. He's talking about faith. Those who believe in Christ have the benefit of what the body of Christ achieved for us on the cross. Now the question, as we finish, the question for you and I is, do you identify yourself on Jesus' guest list? Or do you identify yourself on the first list of people who had the invitation and they refused it? Because if you go to a lot of 
places, a lot of churches, and you come and you tell people of their imperfections, they don't like that. They're like, no, I'm not really that bad. I do make some mistakes once in a while. Sometimes I forget to sweep my house, but it's not that bad after all. I, I know of some people who have worse houses than mine. That's not the argument. The issue is, do we spiritually see ourselves on Jesus' guest list? Because this is the list that he invites to his great supper. The list of those who are the lame, those who are crooked in their walk, those who are blind. We have to see our spiritual defects. And when we see our spiritual defects, it's not necessarily bad. It's only by the grace of God, by his spirit, that he reveals the weakness that is in us. The spiritual weakness that is in us. So it's not necessarily bad when God shows you always of your infirmities in the spirit. So don't be beating yourself and have a resolution. Quite a big number of sermons preached today are going to be New Year's resolutions. How people are going to be fighting this sin and overcome it. How they're going to be better people. How they're going to overcome this and that. But at the end of the day, come January Next year, they'll be making the same resolutions. (laughs) But we have a better resolution. We know that Christ accomplished our salvation. But to my point, do we see ourselves on Jesus' guest list? Because one cannot come to Christ unless they feel their need for Jesus. But one cannot feel their need for Jesus unless God causes them to. One cannot see that they are blind unless God opens their eyes. One cannot see they are poor unless God brings poverty of spirit. Being poor in spirit is not just a one-day event. You continue to be poor in spirit until glorification. But also, one cannot wait to come to Christ till they get better. Because if they tarry, Till they get better, they never come at all. It is impossible to get better outside Christ. If you could get better before you came to Christ, then you don't need to come to Christ. There's no need. You'd rather be out inspecting your new oxen. You'd rather be checking out your land. You'd rather be organizing another cruise. But Jesus comes and says, listen to Jesus' solution. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus comes and says to all these who are imperfect, come to me. It's that invitation again. Come to me. All you who labor, not those who used to labor, but all those who are laboring, present continuous laboring, and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those on Jesus' guest list labor. They are heavy laden by sin and the curse of the law. They feel it. They labor and are heavy laden because of blindness. They always find themselves stumbling, even when they try to do good. They are sick of spirit. They have sickness in their spirit. 
And he promises to lift the burden from such because he is gentle. He is lowly in heart, which means he does not condemn you for your imperfections. Your soul needs rest. We are the young and the restless. I don't know about Stan. I'm young and restless. <laughs> but here what Jesus also does for those who are on his guest list. Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 3. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That he may be glorified. John the Baptist sends his messengers to Jesus. Remember when John the Baptist was in prison, and he is at a loss at what is happening in his life. He has just given testimony about this Messiah, and suddenly he finds himself incarcerated unjustly. So he sends messengers to Jesus, asking him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So do you see the guest list again that partakes of the benefit that is in Christ Jesus? He came to preach good tidings to the poor, those who are brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives of sin and death and God's judgment, opening the prison to those who are bound by the devil, bound by sin, to comfort all those who mourn and give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy. For mourning, that's the Holy Spirit. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness because of their infirmities. That they may be called the trees of righteousness. He came to cause the blind, you and me, to see. The lame, you and I, to walk. Lepers, you and I, to be cleansed. The deaf, you and I, to hear. The dead, we were dead in trespasses and sins. He raised us to life and the poor to have the gospel preached to them. And he says, blessed is he who is not offended because of him. And so as we have this Lord's table, we commemorate the Lord's death. We remember the death of our great high priest who offered himself 
without spot or blemish that we may receive the invitation to come and eat at his table, that we may eat his body by faith, that is, believe in him and partake of his righteousness, that we may eat of the holy and most holy things of God in spite of our defects. Remember, the man with a defect could not do the work of approaching God because he had a defect, but he was not prevented by the same defects from eating that which had been offered to God by those who had no defects. We also cannot do the work of saving ourselves, but we cannot be prevented to come to Christ because of our defects. And we are invited to eat that which was offered by him, the man without any defects, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the man without defect. The man, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who could approach you and offer sacrifices on behalf of his people, that we who have defects would be given the right and the privilege and the access to eat of the holy things and the most holy things. And blessed are those who have been invited to the great supper. And we thank you, Lord, for revealing our imperfections, showing us of our iniquities, our sin, that we may run to Christ and find our fullness in him. We pray and we thank you for this message. May you bless even those who shall hear afterwards. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.